G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is the third of our Advent series, The Coming Saviour, and it looks at the topic of joy. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St Luke, chapter 3, beginning at the 7th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, would you pray for me as I pray for you as we open up our text today? Loving Lord God, we thank you so much for the joy of following Jesus. And Lord, thank you that that joy is not just a set of happy circumstances or situations, but uh, that joy is permanent. And so Lord, as we reflect on the joy found in you, we pray that you would open our hearts to that same joy so that we might sing it out to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and those books, uh, C.S. Lewis, he once said this, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. He's right. Lots of people who wouldn't consider themselves religious are very happy. A couple of years ago, I had a bit of a crisis of faith because of this very reason. I realized that many of my non-Christian friends um, had everything that I had. Happiness, health, wealth, families, communities, love, Christmas. They even had something that I didn't have. A lot of free time on Sunday morning. (laughs) So I went on a bit of a journey to try to figure out what Christians have that's unique. I realized that others had tread this path before. Even C.S. Lewis. His book, Surprised by Joy, is the story of his conversion from atheism to following Jesus. His journey led him to realize that joy is something all Christians have. And this joy is a special type of joy. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. And the key to joy is Jesus. So today we're going to look at those three readings that um, were read just now. Um, And probably the key passage for me was in the Song of Isaiah. And it says this, The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Advent is meant to be a solemn time of reflection. But today our focus is joy. So we're going to take a little break from the solemnity of the season and look at the basis for joy, the things that rob us of our joy, and God, God's call to live lives that sing. Now to say that Christians can, can have joy only is, is not true. Joy is something we all experience And this is because God made us for joy. Feeling good is wonderful, and it's great when things are going our way. On Friday, my son Jude and I were playing, and he was running off um, off a trailer, and I was catching him and then spinning him around and then placing him back on the trailer. It was a simple game, but it was filled with joy. We were both giggling and having so much fun. But after a while, you can imagine what happened. Daddy got tired and Jude got bored of the game. And so that happy moment ended. You see, while joy isn't unique to Christians, Christian joy lasts because it's not based on happy moments, on trailers and spinning. Instead, it's based on faith in Jesus. In Philippians 4, a guy named Paul is sitting in jail for his faith. And he's writing to a church that he loved very much, but he didn't know if he would ever see it again. And he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
And if you've grown up in church, perhaps you're, you're singing a little song in your head. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. <laughs> that song is based on this passage. For Paul, simply knowing Jesus always leads to rejoicing. It's the understanding that God has made you both for good works and he loves and delights in you. Not everyone has this. And that's why happiness for many of us is fleeting. If we're just accidents of atoms and time, as we're often told to believe, then our happiness is random and our joy will never last. But the Bible says we're not accidents and that joy isn't an accident. It's a consequence of faith. Paul was an angry, twisted religious person but when he met Jesus, his heart softened and the joy that Jesus lived in came alive in him. That's why he talks about joy like this. He says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When he talks about guarding, he's talking about a military guard. He's talking about God patrolling around our hearts like a soldier driving away all darkness and filling our lives with unimaginable light. And from a man who once tried to kill Christians, Paul, this is a peace and a joy which transcends, it overcomes all understanding. So Christian joy is based on faith, and that's a part of it, but another part is hope. Paul writes, let your gentleness be, gent be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Like Christian joy, Christian hope is unique. It's this deep understanding that God not only made us, but that he came into the world as one of us to die for our sins. This gives us hope, knowing that God has dealt with all our sin. We don't need to worry about the skeletons in our closet. Because if you let him, Jesus will empty your closet. And then he will help you to fight sin in your life into the future. Christian hope is unique also because, as Paul says, the Lord is near. Our God is not a distant, imaginary friend, perhaps at the end of the universe. Our Jesus rose from the dead. You can fake a lot of things in life, but you can't be killed on a cross, lying dead in a tomb for three days, and then fake a resurrection. We have hope because we know the resurrected Jesus breathed his spirit on his first disciples, and he lives in all who have been baptized and welcomed the Holy Spirit into their lives. When Paul says the Lord is near, he's talking about the Lord being with him in prison. But he's also talking about the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord. That's one of the focuses of Advent, the recognition that every passing day is a day closer to the day when Jesus returns to make all wrongs right, to fix our broken world and to bring us resurrection life. When C.S. Lewis wrote about joy, 
He compared it to the German word Sehnsucht. As you can see, I don't speak German. <laughs> but um, it's, it, it's often translated longing, but it's more than that. It's more than longing. It's a joyful expectation. Kind of like what a kid has when they've been wanting a bike all year and then all of a sudden a bike-shaped parcel appears under the Christmas tree. They know they're about to get what they want and so they live in eager, joyful anticipation, a longing for what is coming. Our basis for joy is unshakable, but there are things that try to rob us of our joy. I want to look at two things that really come up in our passages. One thing that seeks to rob us of our joy is ego. When we think with the bee's knees and no one can offer us anything better, we actually lose out on joy. This is why when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he says, oh, goodness me, um, he says, watch out because your computer might just fail. <laughs> he says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of God, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. You see, the people at the time trusted in their forefather, Abraham. Their great, 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 great grandfather was Abraham. And he had this special relationship with God. And God promised Abraham land, family, and blessings. And God delivered that. But the people thought that they could rely on that past promise and that they didn't need to have an actual relationship with the Lord. They didn't need to clean up their lives. They didn't need to live in righteousness. Their egos were inflated. And this led to complacency and sin. Have you ever noticed how people with big egos don't exude joy? They may look smug or even happy, but scratch the surface and you'll find emptiness. That's why John's words are harsh, but they're not unkind or unfair. The people of Israel at the time were immoral, perverted, and selfish. They thought that while the temple was still standing, they were sweet with God and they didn't need to clean up their lives. John's message from God is no. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a message designed to puncture egos and remind people that joy is found in a life that bears fruit. Fruit in the Bible is not pineapples and grapes. It's acts of kindness, generosity, and faith. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There'll be a test afterwards. <laughs> John is saying that if your life is not bearing good fruit, if you're thinking only about yourself, you'll be cut down to size and thrown into the fire. John is sharing the reality that God will not allow sin and injustice to go on forever. Those who resist God and think only of themselves will be thrown into hell at the end of all things. 
Sometimes people say, if God is so good, why doesn't he do something about the evil in this world? Now, I don't know the full answer to that question. But what I do know is that God promises to bring evil to an end. And in his mercy, he's giving us time to humble ourselves and turn to him before it's too late. This is a big part of Advent, knowing that our time is running out. It's time to embrace the joy found in Jesus. The second thing that robs us of our joy is impatience. As the people come to John, um, they don't get upset with, their, with his message. Um, but they do think, oh wow, this guy, uh, this guy is the savior God is sending. They get impatient. And impatience often drives us in pursuit of our own happiness rather than pursuit of God. Impatience with God can also make us think that we're one step ahead of God and that we know what God should do. The other day, my son um, couldn't be bothered waiting for Zoe and I to go with him um, riding. And uh, so he snuck out. And he later came back crying and sopping wet because he'd ridden into a ditch. Now, Zoe gave him a hug, even though he was dripping in mud. Um, And then she took him for a shower, and I fished his bike out of the drain. But we had to have a talk about patience afterwards. And this is what John is talking about. um, The Bible tells us that John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather up the wheat into his barn. And he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other things, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Notice that Luke calls this good news. It's, it's harrowing news, but for Luke, it is good news. If we think God's doing nothing and take justice and our own lives into our own hands, so often we rob ourselves of the joy of seeing God's plans unfold. John tells the people that Jesus is coming. He realizes that he's not the Messiah. And he's not worthy even to stoop down and untie his boots. Jesus will do the judging, not John. His justice will be perfect. And all that is bad and opposed to God will be burned with unquenchable fire. This is where the Christian teaching on hell comes from. It's not wishful thinking or a scare tactic to convert people. It's a recognition that when we get out of step with God, when we think we know better than God, or we ignore God altogether, we hurt ourselves. We hurt those around us. And we grieve God. 
Sin robs us of our joy. Ego and impatience all take our focus off God and onto ourselves. And all of a sudden, we cut ourselves off from the source of joy and find ourselves on the wrong side of God. On the other hand, when we embrace the life found in Jesus, we free ourselves up to live lives that sing. Uh, French author Victor Hugo um, wrote this, Music expresses that which cannot be said and on which it is impossible to remain silent. God loves music and singing, which is why we sing when we gather as church. We also sing because we can't help it. God has been so good to us. He's delivered us from Satan, sin, and death, and given us a heavenly hope. So why wouldn't we sing? Notice in our reading, as John the Baptist preaches to the people, they don't get offended by his fire and brimstone preaching. Instead, they ask him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your, pray, with your pay. As you can see, living a life that sings is about what we say and what we do. What we say is vital because our words often come from our hearts. And John tells the soldiers not to accuse people falsely. Again, he's saying, entrust judgment to God. And what's amazing is when we do that, we become more tolerant. We become more honest people. We also honor God with our words because we show others how good it is when God lifts us up and we automatically lift others up. So how are you going with honoring God with your words this Advent? Have you wished anyone happy Advent? It may give you a strange look, but you might have an opportunity to talk about hope, peace, joy, and love. Have you shared words of hope and peace with the people around you? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to purify your speech? I know I haven't, so I'm going to do that today. Speaking of joy doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. It might mean taking time to catch up with a friend who's going through a rough time, crying with them and praying with them maybe. It might mean having a hard conversation with someone about a contentious issue like COVID, politics, religion or cricket without losing your cool even when the other person does. It might mean sharing a good joke with someone and helping them smile. What we say and how we say it can sing joy into the world around us. What we say is also coupled with what we do. The two go hand in hand. Jesus was adamant about this. Notice how John paves the way for Jesus' ministry by telling the soldiers not to give up their jobs, but to go about them in a different way, a way that honors God. Tax collectors also come up to him and they ask him, what should we do? And again, John doesn't tell them to stop being tax collectors. Instead, he says, don't collect any more than you are required to. 
living with honesty and integrity spreads joy wherever you go. So again, how could you spread joy this Advent? You might drop off a hamper or financial support to someone you know who is in need at Christmas. You might do a garden chore for a neighbor or invite them over for dinner. You might offer to watch the kids or clean the house for a stressed out parent who is at the end of their rope. And I promise I'm not advertising for Zoe and I at the moment. (laughs) You might even help a hoarder clean up their shed or give an addict a lift to their support group. The possibilities are endless, but the opportunities to sing joy into people's lives are golden. While all of this sounds like work, it's practicing joy. It might not make you happy instantly, but the happiest people in the world are those who have found joy in simplicity and live lives laid down for others. Friends, God has been so good to us, and we can't help but rejoice. Let's live lives that sing, longing for the day when God will bring all things to their good end. Until that day, we live in hope, in peace, as we rejoice in God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.